Today's shiur begins three lines from the bottom of Daf Zayin Omid Aleph. The Gemara opens with a quote from the end of the Mishnah, Daf Beis Omid Aleph. A person had declared Menude Ani Loch. Rabbi Kiva Rabbi Akiva was inclined to be restrictive, to accept it as a neder, as a vow. Now, in general, the word menuda or the word nidui in in, in other contexts has to do with a, a form of excommunication, where a person who is in nidui he's he's excommunicated, so he is not to participate in what's we'll a daily. Uh, interaction with people. That's a very, very general statement. The Gemara here will be interested in some variations on that word or idea and what effects it has. Before we get into our Gemara, though, I think we'll go back to the base Omid Aleph and simply read the Rashi that you will find over there. And Rashi there on base Omid Aleph, the beginning at the, toward the end of the Mishnah, he comments Minudani Loch, a person who says that Kamo Shiim Hoya Banidui the Osir Lei Lisa Valitain just like a person who is in formal excommunication, it would be forbidden to do business with him. Kach Osar Nafshe Olei. So too when someone uh, uh, regarding himself, says Minude Aniloch, I am Minude to you. That would be, in effect, he is forbidding the friend to benefit from him, from the speaker. So now, regarding that language, Minude Aniloch, does that actually create a vow, a, namely a state of prohibition? So Rabbi Kiva was inclined to be Machmir, to to say yes, it does. It, it does impose a uh, a state of prohibition. Uh, however, it's not a hundred percent clear to Rabbi Kiva that that is the meaning. The Gemara, three lines from the bottom of Zayin Omer Aleph, Menuda Aniloch v'Chulei Omar Abaye, Moide Rabbi Kiva Leinian Malkus. Rabbi Kiva will concede that with regard to one who violates this vow. And the result would have been lashings she'eno loke. In this case, there will be no lashings. The im came if Rabbi Kiva held that it's a full-fledged vow, the violation of which imposes a lashing punishment. Nisni, then the text of the Mishnah should have read, Rabbi Akiva machmir. Rabbi Akiva is stringent, is, is strict, uh, with regard to that, but that's not the language. The Loshan of the Mishnah was which means he is inclined to be restrictive. Now as we go on in the Gemara, you notice a new geometric form, a house shape. On the side of the Gemara, under our Nosei Mivne heading, a house appears, and we've we've uh, written Machloikis Rav Popov Rav Chista Loshan Hoya HaMachloikis there is a, a machlokis between Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim. In our Mishnah, Rabbi Kiva's name appeared in the context of Menuda Aniloch, where he was inclined to be Machmir. Apparently, there is a, another opinion that 
disagrees with Rabbi Kiva. So the question is regarding what language, what expression is there a point of disagreement? So Rav, Rav Papa appears here in a house form and on Omid Bey's five lines from the top you can see in our marked Gemaras he says that the expression concerning which there's a machlokis Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim is Meshamtena. Uh, According to Rav Papa uh, Meshamtena is not a point of machlokis. Now, as we said at the beginning of our Masifta, in while we learn Maseches Nedarim, there are phrases, there are words, terms that are characteristic of this Masifta that uh, are difficult to translate uh, in a um, in a standard, let's say, literal or translation form. And we'll look through from time to time at the Mefarshim to get a feeling of what the words mean. So now we continue with the Gemara, second line from the bottom of Zion, Omer Aleph, Omer Rav Papa, Be Nadino Minoch, De Kule Almo, Lopligi De Oser. If a person were to say that, everyone would agree, even the Chachomun would agree, that that constitutes a vow. If we look at Rashi, uh, three lines from the end, Be Nadino Minoch, De Mashma Beferush, that is an explicit statement. Ehei minude loch. I am considered minude. Um, we said before excommunication, uh, an expression of prohibition. I am prohibited to you. There, everyone agrees that that is definitely a prohibition. Uh, the rush, the lower part of the narrow lines, benadino mimoch. The Kleamo Osur, the Mashma Misnoideid Ani, Misnoideid means to, uh, to drift away, Umuvdal Mimcha, and separated from you, Vahavi Tfei, Mimiruchakani Mimcha, Aliba Dishmuel. This expression of Nadina is even more of a distancing expression than the Loshun, than the expression of Miruchakani. Vaha Ditana Lo. Money lahu that which this does not appear amongst the yodos of the Mishnah. The Tana is not giving the exhaustive list of yodos, but this would have uh, been considered an example of a yad, as a, of an example of a partial uh, expression of prohibition of vowing. So now we continue. Uh, with one more uh, commentary, and we notice in the um, in the Toysfus commentary, you'll notice uh, very close to the end of the Toysfus commentary, th- two three lines from the end of the page. Nadino minach kuleamot lo no It's a language of moving away, of distancing. In Cain Moyel Shapir Beloy Shani Oicholoch, this language of Nadino is very clear, even without adding the expression of Shani Ocheloch, which we described, which we discussed in our previous shiur. This alone is clear. V'Shapir Havi Yodai Mochichos Tfei Mimudrani Mimcha. This is a clear partial language than Mudrani Mimcha. Dein Lasafkoi Barachokes Dalanamos. 
As opposed to Mudrani Mumcha, here we don't have to, we don't doubt or raise the possibility that all the guy is saying is I'm m- moving four Amas away from you. The explanation of this language is that I am moving away from you from benefiting from you. So that is a loshon, an expression of a vow. So Rav Papa says that Nadina, everyone agrees, is a binding vow of prohibition. The Gemara continues, This word, everyone will agree, does not indicate prohibition. We look again at the commentaries, we look at the Toysvis where we left off, second line from the very end, is a language of curse, there is no uh, implied expression of prohibition of benefit here. The Rush also comments on this second line from the bottom. Shamta means it's an expression of excommunication. And it's not a partial language of vow prohibition. Avonadino mashma no dare. Velo loshon ni dui. The nadino expression that we discussed before, that implies vowing of prohibition and not an expression of excommunication. So far, we're explaining nadino, everyone agrees, is a expression of vow, of prohibition. Mishamtino is not. my pligi. So then, what is the point of machlokas between Rabbi Akiva and the Rabbonon? Bemenude aniloch. That is the expression that we saw in the Mishnah. The Rabbi Akiva Savar, here we're at the top of the of Omid Beis. The Rabbi Akiva Savar, Lishna de Niduya, who? Rabbi Kiva holds it's an expression of Niduya. And Rabonasafi Lishno de Mishamtinahu, and we just saw before that Mishamtino is an expression of of um klola, but not a Lashon, not an expression of prohibition. So that when Rabbi Akiva says that the Lashon of Min of Minude is a Lishna de Niduyahu, we're going to ha- we're going to explain within the context that it's like uh, Nadino. As we are recording this year, I just noticed that in the Toysvis he has that girsa of Nadino, which we saw before is a an accepted language of vow of prohibition. We continue in the Gemara on the third line from the top of Omid Beis, Upliga de Rav Chista. Rav Papa's approach is at odds or different than that of Rav Chista. Tahu Gavro Diomar, Mishamtino, Benichse, Debrei, de Rav Yirmio, Bar Abo. There was a person that said uh, that I am Mishamtino uh, with regard to the properties of the son of Rav Yirmio. Also, the Kamid Rav Chista. 
the case came to Rapista, Amalate lace the Chosh law laha the Rabbi Akiva. No one uh, no one takes into consideration in, in, in rendering the halacha like Rabbi Akiva. So that, as far as Rabbi is concerned, Mishamtana is a point of machlokes, where Rabbi Akiva says it is restrictive. And Rabbi says no one takes that into consideration, and hence the person would be allowed to benefit from those properties. Well, if Rav Chista is saying that Rabbi Akiva views Mishamtana with restriction, that's not what Rav Papa said. Rav Papa said that Mishamtana, everyone, including Rabbi Akiva, agrees is non-restrictive altogether. So, Kosovar, this shows us that Rav Chista holds the Mishamtana pligi, that Mishamtana was the point of controversy. If you, if uh, the structure is not 100% clear, then take a look at the arrow that you see here. And at this point, we've dashed underline Mishamtano and squiggle underline Pligi. Compare this with Omen Aleph, where you see Mishamtano is dashed underlined under Rav Papa. And it said there that regarding Mishamtano, uh, everyone uh, agrees it's Mutter. As you can see, we have a slash mark in the Gemara, in that, indicating that that which follows is a new trend of thought. Under On the side of the Gemara, you can see we've uh, indicated a mivneh, a structural note, and a triangle is featured. This highlights halochis shel rav. These are rulings of rav. Uh, triangles that are numbered one through three, halochis shel rav, Hakshuros Lenidui. These are three halachas that are related to the topic of excommunication. And now here we're dealing with formal excommunication as opposed to the Gemara before, where uh, the uh, the question was, what happens if a person uses the lashon of menude in the context of making a vow? But here we're dealing with a person that is excommunicated and. Uh, how to proceed forward. Omar Rabbi Ila, Omar Rav, Niduhu Bifonov, a person who was formally excommunicated, and it was the excommunication was issued in his presence, Ein Matirin Lo Elo Bifonov. It cannot be undone unless he is present. Niduhu Shelo Bifonov, if a person was excommunicated but from a distance, meaning the uh, the guilty party wasn't present when the the rabbi who excommunicated him was uh, issued that ruling. So matirin lo bein befonov bein befonov. The release of the individual from the excommunication can be done whether he is present or even if not. Omarav chonen omarav hashomea haskoras hashem ipi chavero tsorich linadoso. If one is a witness, a listener, he hears someone uttering the name of the Almighty for naught, called Moitzi Shem Shemvayim Levatola. So, as you as a listener have to excommunicate the offender. Vimlo Nidu, and if you didn't take the action of excommunicating the offender, who atzmo yehei then then you as a listener deserve to be excommunicated. There's a point in the rush 
you might notice we have a star in the wide lines of, uh, of the Rosh commentary. And there we've noted, He deserves to be put into excommunication. The Gemara elaborates, Wherever the name of the Almighty is, is uh, uttered for, for naught, there you will find poverty. In other words, th- that what results from the, the um, pointless um, recitation of the Almighty's name, the result of that is poverty. And poverty is like death. Where do we know that poverty is like death? Shinemar, there is a posuk concerning Dawson and Aviram. These are people that were antagonists toward Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu was told that the people that were, uh, were antagonizing you are dead. Ki mesu kol vitanya. And uh, we have to just point out that when that posik was says that they are dead, they actually were not physically dead, but they had become impoverished. Vitanya komokam shenosu chachomim einayim oimisa oyoini. Uh, wherever the Chachomim, uh, now literally means they placed their eyes, but it's wherever they uh, issued, uh, we'll say, a, an excommunication. So um, wh- what follows from that is either death or poverty. Let's go over some of the uh, points that we see in the Meforshim on this section of Gemara. The Rashi says, a little more than halfway down the uh, short Rashi uh, column, uh, regarding a person that the Chachomim, that the sages, excommunicated, the reason, and this is the reason that we have to excommunicate someone who utters the name of Hashem for naught, so that he should become impoverished. That's like uh, a death penalty. So it's, uh, it's true that uttering the name of Hashem is a serious offense, but there is no court-ordained death penalty for that. Nevertheless, he is deserving of death, and uh, in order to accomplish that, we will uh, excommunicate him, which leads to impoverish- impoverishment, which, as we demonstrated before, is tantamount to death. There's a, another comment that we want to look at together in the Rosh. The Rosh is found in the wide lines, about the seventh wide, seventh eighth wide line. She called Mokum wherever the uh, uh, mention of God's name uh, for naught is made, there you will find poverty. This Pesach says that wherever I give permission for my name to be mentioned, as it, for example, in the context of brachos, in the context of the priestly benediction, it says there will be bracha, I will bless you. Bracha, I know osher. Bracha, is a term that means plenty. It means uh, abundance, wealth. Uh, 
we can then infer from the positive to the negative, from the fact that the positive mentioning of Hashem's name leads to um, um, enrichment, leaving us to uh, conclude that sinful mentioning of Hashem's name results in impoverishment. There's a another comment uh, that you see in the Rosh, just a few lines later, the Tanyim Shumalo Yimer, Omar Komokim Shosachomimineim Omiso Oini. In our uh, Gemara text, we don't have that um, introduction of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, but there are alternative texts that do include that. And the Rosh comments, Umaisio Yraya Shoini Shoku Kamiso. Another proof is brought over here that that Oni, that's, that uh, impoverishment is equal to death. It's mentioned, it's mentioned in a number of places. Uh, you find that as a, a, a rabbinic expression. They, he cast his eyes upon him and he became a heap of bones. And that's a reference to Oni. He became impoverished. You see in the Moran Shabbos also this idea of their when the, the, everything that they gazed upon in displeasure immediately uh, be, was burnt. Let's turn back to the Gemara. Omar, we're at the last narrow line. Omar Rabbi Abba, have a ki'imno kameid Ravuna. Rabbi Abba says, I was standing in the presence of Ravuna. Shomalach itzo d'afka askoros Hashem levatola. And uh, a woman was heard mentioning the name of the Almighty for naught. Shamto Ravuna excommunicated her and then immediately released her from the excommunication in her presence. From this incident, three halachic conclusions can be reached. Number one, that one who hears the the uh, uh, unnecessary utterance of God's name, the listener, the one who hears it, must excommunicate the offender. When the excommunication is done in the presence of the offender, the release from that nidui, from that excommunication, must be done only in front of, in the presence of the offender. And a third conclusion is that the amount of time between the nidui and its hafor, I mean, and, and its and its reversal, its its undoing, is uh, can be of minimal time, meaning no, it can be immediate, as we saw in the story. So these three points one can easily derive from the incident. As you can see, a new marking appears, a crown shape, and on the side of the Gemara, under our Mivne heading, this highlights Chaloches Shemrav Gidol Shemitzatet Es Rav. Rav Gidol will be citing Rav Be'inyonei Tamidei Chachomim Mitzvos V'Talmud Torah. Comments that have to do with uh, Torah scholars, with mitzvos, and with the study of Torah. We continue then with the series of Rav comments. This is the third uh, Rav comment. Omar of Gidol, Omar Rav. 
Talmud Chocham menade li'atzmoi u'mefer li'atzmo. As far as the understanding of this halacha of Talmud Chocham menade li'atzmefer li'atzmo, the Ran presents a couple of different opinions on this. We will translate it for the time being, the, the Gemara, and that is that a Talmud Chocham can impose upon himself excommunication and can then release himself from that state. The Gemara says, Pshita, is that not obvious? The uh, Ran points out that some don't even include this Girsa of Pshita, but Assuming for the time being that the Gemara's Girsa is as it is, uh, if you put yourself into excommunication, then certainly you should be able to release yourself from it. So is that not obvious? The Gemara says, it's not so obvious. Literally, this phrase means one who is incarcerated cannot release himself from imprisonment. There is a halacha that if a person made a vow, if he, if he, uh, uh, he, he, took, he, he took an oath, he made a vow regarding something, in fact, one cannot undo one's own vows. Someone else has to, a, a Beisdin or a Talmud Chocham has to undo your vow. You can't do it yourself. So there is precedent for thinking otherwise. So I might have thought that regarding Nidui as well, if a Talmud Chacham imposed Nidui upon himself, maybe he can't release himself. Chomash Malon, so Rav Gidol is telling me, in fact, he is able to do it. Hechi Domi, what is a, an example of this? What, under what circumstances might this arise where a, a person would put himself, where a Talmud Chacham would put himself into excommunication? Kihad de Marzutra Chasida. As was the case involving Marzutra, the uh, the, the pious one, Ki bar beirav shamta. If a Torah scholar was in fact guilty of being excommunicated, was deserving of it, and he was the one that needed to issue that ruling, mishamis nafshe beresha, he would first. Put himself into excommunication. The Hodar Mishamas Bar Beirav, and then he would excommunicate that Torah, uh, that Torah scholar that uh, needed to be subjected to that. We look in the Rosh, four lines from the end. Mishamis Nafshei Vod Mishamis Sumaraponon. The Mishum Kovet Torah Hoya Kasha Be'enov Lenadosa was was. Uh, difficult, emotionally difficult for Marzutra to excommunicate a Torah scholar. So out of the out of honor that one bestows to Torah, it was hard for him to do that. The Gemara himself says that it's preferable to issue lashings to an, uh, an offending Torah scholar than to excommunicate him. And here he was the and here he was And therefore he put himself in the same boat, so to speak, by excommunicating himself. Inami, another explanation of why he did 
if he put himself in excommunication, so he won't be lazy in undoing it, and hence this will hasten uh, the uh, the the reversal of the excommunication uh, that takes place afterwards. The Tzvis. Explains that the bottom line, when uh, when he says he put himself into excommunication, it means he would maintain a physical distance of four amos from uh, anyone else. We continue in the Gemara with uh, with this story of Marzutra uh, Chasida, who, when a Talmud Chacham, when a Tzumra Bonan deserved. Uh, um, excommunication, we said he Marzutra would excommunicate himself first and then the Barbe Rav the Chiayol and when he would uh, get home Shori Lenafshei Vahadar Shori Lei he would then undo his own self-imposed Nidui and then undo the one that was imposed on the Torah student if we look in the uh, together in the Rosh it was important for him to first undo when he got home to undo his own self-imposed excommunication so that the members of his household wouldn't be in violation of the rules of excommunication in their communicating with him the uh, Gemara continues the Omar of Gidol Omarav we continue now at the top of the Ches from where do we know that one can vow in order to fulfill a mitzvah? The rush at the beginning says, A person can swear to fulfill a particular mitzvah and we're not suspect we're not worried that he might come to stumble and violate the shvuah. Uh, let us point out that in general swearing and vowing is something that we highly discourage and yet here in this specific instance of vowing to fulfill a mitzvah we're saying it would be allowed. So from where do we know that? The Gemara continues, Shinemar Nishbati Vakaimo Lishmor Mishpatekecha. I swear and fulfill your precepts. The Gemara asks, Vahalo Mushba Sinaihu. How is it that a vow would take hold when he's already pre bound from the time of the giving of the Torah? Uh, imagine someone swears to put on tefillin. He's already bound by the oath of Sinai, by the collective uh, Jewish people's acceptance of the Torah to put on the tefillin. Let us take a look at the rush on this as well. He's already pre-bound to fulfill the mitzvah. And there is a, a very significant principle that says that when one is is already bound, a second oath cannot be superimposed on him. The 
psukim that deal with the effectiveness of a of a of an oath is based on the pasuk Ramanaitiv, and that indicates a vow over a topic that's otherwise optional. But if it's an issue, if it's a topic that's not optional, but rather obligatory, it doesn't conform to the regulations of the Torah concerning shavuos, concerning oaths, and therefore. There's no oath here to begin with. So we have to, let's say, refine Rav Gidol's teaching. Rather, the following is what Rav Gidol Amarav is telling us. It is permissible for a person to increase his diligence, to hasten Lizuruze uh, 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 is an expression meaning to hasten or increase diligence of individuals with regard to their mitzvah performance. And again, we continue with the rush. If a person swears to fulfill a mitzvah and he uses the name of the Almighty, even though he's pre bound this would not fall into the category of a, a false or um, uh, uh, unnecessary use or mention of the Almighty's name. Vinishba below Nami, and even if he were swearing without the use of God's name, without this Gemara, I would have thought the Osir, it's forbidden, it's forbidden to swear, even if it's concerning mitzvah fulfillment, uh, so that a person should not be accustomed to swearing. And come to swear about other things. Therefore, Rav Gil Marav says that as an exception to our, um, to our strict objection to swearing, if you're swearing in the context of mitzvah performance, so you are not uh, in violation of our general uh, objection to swearing. As far as is there an is there an actual oath that sets in over here? It, pre- it appears quite clear that there isn't any actual oath that sets in because of the principle of mushpa vioyme mehar is already pre-bound. Vein shvua chalal shvua. The Yomar of Gidol Amarav. Person who says, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to learn a particular chapter of Torah, or I'm going to learn a tractate. This is a great, um, uh, meaningful, uh, binding uh, vow that has been taken. Uh, to the uh, has been made to the Lord of Israel. Let's take uh, just let us note the rush on the last Laro uh, line. Neder Godal Godal Nodar LeKaysrael Lav Hainu Neder Mamish. This isn't an actual Neder in strict Neder terms. To Luki Neder Elish Mafis Bevahan Nodur. The technical Neder, an actual vow, is uh, takes hold only when you impose a prohibition on something based on something else comparing the current item to something else that had been previously made prohibited. That's not what's happening here. You're not making something 
prohibited based on something else that had been made forbidden, you're, you're, you're saying, you're, you're vowing to get up early and learn a chapter of Torah. So, the Rosh says, It's rather compared to someone who vowed to give charity. Quoting the post of Fichot, which we actually saw a few dapim earlier, Zu Tzedaka. And that's in the context, that Pesach is in the general context of vows. So it's like a vow to give charity. The Gemara asks, even so, uh, take note of the fact this question lasts a few lines. How can Rav Gilmar say that this is a great vow, indicating that it, uh, it is of a binding nature? And which would also which would indicate that if he doesn't wake up early and study that chapter that he had taken upon himself, he would be in violation. He would be in violation of a vow. But the question is, why would that be? Is he not pre-bound to study Torah anyway? The ain shvua chala al shvua. Once one is bound by oath to fulfill a precept. A subsequent oath that one takes concerning that matter doesn't take hold. So what else? What else might you say? My Since it, since we have the principle Ein and we're already bound to the study of Torah. So what is Rav Gidol Marav telling me here? That it's allowed. A person is allowed to. Uh, to hasten himself, to increase his diligence through statements like this? Well, that's what the previous Rav Gidl teaching said. Why do I need that to be repeated? The Gemara answers, The following is what Rav Gidl Amarav is telling me over here. Since, as far as the, the precept of Torah study, we said that one is pre-bound. He is, he is uh, um, bound by oath from Sinai to study Torah. However, how much Torah is one bound, when we say bound by Sinai to engage in, we'll say, a minimum of Torah study, one fulfills his, we'll say, his basic obligation through the recitation of the morning and nighttime Kriyas Shema. What was the fellow swearing to do over here? He was swearing to learn a tractate or a, a chapter something other than Kriyas Shema. So as far as what he is technically speaking, Mushba V'Oymed Maharsina, that could have been fulfilled through a a lesser amount of Torah study, something as minimal as the actual recitation of Shema, of Shachris and Arvis. And since that is all he would need to do to fulfill his, his uh, Sinai obligation, when he takes upon himself something extra, Mishum Hachi, Chayel Shvuale, because of that, this Shvua actually takes hold. The uh, the run has a uh, has, has a, 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 an elaboration on this topic, 
and uh, he points out that uh, a person shouldn't be, uh, we'll say, I don't know, so naive as to think that that all he has to do in his lifetime is simply recite Kriyashma of the morning and the evening, and with that he's he uh, he has uh, fulfilled all of our expectations of him concerning Torah learning because. There are additional sources, and the Ran cites them, that one must be fluent in Torah learning. And one can't be fluent in Torah learning if all he knows is Kriyashma of the morning and the evening. But nevertheless, uh, uh, as far as we'll call basic obligation is concerned, he can fulfill his basic obligation uh, through the Kriyashma of morning and evening, and therefore there is room for this uh, vow of I'm going to wake up early and study this tractate, there's room for it to take hold. Uh, now we can look together at the Ran, you will see on the fifth line under the Gemara text, it's most likely that that's not really all he needs to do to fulfill his uh, Torah obligations, his Torah study obligations. A person is expected to learn day and night according to his abilities, according to his strength. In the first parak of Kedushin, it says, that's the Pesach from Kriyashmash, the words of Torah should be sharp in your mouth. If someone should ask you a question in any area of Torah study, you shouldn't uh, hesitate, but rather answer immediately. The recitation of the morning and evening Kriyashma is not sufficient to uh, uh, enable a person to reach that level. From here, the Ran proves a principle that he had developed in Maseches Shavuos, the Chomidi Dosa anything that's not explicit in the Torah, but it's derived through uh, through Drosha, through expounding on verses, even though it is considered a Torah obligation, since it's not explicitly spelled out in the verses, Shvua Chololov, a vow can take effect. So that regarding non-explicit Torah-level obligations, the principle of Ein Shvua, Chalal Shvua, does not apply. And here, what are we saying? Since with regard to this matter of Torah study, you can fulfill your explicit Torah requirements What's the explicit Torah requirement? That which you say at the evening and when you arise in the morning. Therefore, with regard to any additional Torah study, though your additional Torah study is Torah obligated, but it's not explicit. Therefore, there is room for this vow to take hold. And that's what's implied by the expression that Rav Gidol Marav said, that this is a nether Klomar, It's a big nether. The whole dinov, uh, with regard to all the rules that apply to vows, kidvar rishus, as if someone had vowed regarding a matter of option. And there, if one violates such a vow, he's certainly guilty of 
whatever punishment that needs to be imposed. The Ran says that he developed this idea there in Maseches Shavuos with additional proofs. Now we turn back to the Gemara. Omar of Gidol, Omar Rav. Hoimer lechavero, nashkim v'nishna peregzeh. Person says to his friend, let us get up early and study this chapter. Uh, A particular chapter of Torah. Alav lahashkim, it is obligatory upon him to get up and do it. She'enemar, the Pesach says, Vayomer elai, kum tseil habiko v'shoma daber oisach, and the, the, the prophet uh, says that the Almighty had told him to get up and go to the field and there I, the Almighty, will speak with you and the prophet said I went to the field and there he was there the, the presence of the Almighty was already there to appreciate this uh, sixth teaching of Rav let's again look into the Ran the Ran you can see in the wide lines toward the second half of the wide lines Olov Lahashkim it's upon him to get up early Mistabro Li Dochi Komar it's most likely that this is what is being taught here Kevan Shomar Nashkim Harikibulov Shehu Maurer Bedover Kishem Shu Maurer Me'achshov he is saying that I'm going to a, 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 a rise, just like I am aroused now. The Tarti Kamash, there are two points that are being taught here. Chado de Bekabola Be'almo Ledvar Mitzvah Mahanya that a mere acceptance to do a mitzvah is something that is binding, it's effective. The Mai Damrin and Hocha that which is being said here, Lo Hiskir Lo Neder Velo Shvua well he didn't mention a vow or an oath you see that even without specific mention of language of the language of a neder or shvua, a formal vow or oath, he's still bound. As we say that if a person expresses an intent to give charity, he is thereby bound. This applies to all mitzvah fulfillment. So that that's one point that with mere verbalizing, mere um, uh, speech, without additional expressions of oaths and uh, and vows, he is bound when it comes to mitzvah fulfillment. Another point is that he has to uh, wake up. He has to wake up early, like we see in the pasuk where the Almighty. Uh, uh, so to speak, Kivyachol was was there. The Almighty said, uh, "You get up, and I will speak to you there." And there he was. He fulfilled uh, what he said. So we are to pattern ourselves after the conduct uh, of of the Almighty, uh, so to speak. And from here, Rav Gidol learns that he is in fact bound. With that, we conclude our shiur for today.